for joining us for Woke Moments, a conversation on issues and hot topics impacting young generations. My name is Janet Kelly, and I am the Executive Director of Sanctuary of Hope, as well as your host. So now let's jump into a moment of awakening. Woke Moments. So I want to first start off by just thanking everyone for uh, taking the time to spend some of your Sunday with us. Uh, my name is Earl Edwards. I am the guest um, guest host of Woke Moments, uh, hosted by Sanctuary of Hope. And so very, very excited and honored to, uh, to continue this work that um, Janet Kelly has been doing. And I'm very excited about the topic that we're talking about. Um, this topic is really focusing on um, individuals that are experiencing crisis and also the importance of mentoring, uh, in particular black mentor, um, black male mentorship. And I'm lucky to be um, joined with a group of great men who participate um, and also take advantage of mentoring. And so before we, I introduce them and introduce themselves, I want to kind of give a little more context to who I am. So my name is uh, Earl Edwards. I'm a doctoral candidate at UCLA Graduate School of Education. And my research focuses on students' experience of homelessness, uh, particularly Black students' experience of homelessness. And the reason why I was compelled to this work was, one, as a, as a child, as a youth, I, I experienced homelessness growing up. And one of the reasons why I was able to actually overcome and get into the position I'm in now is because of the many mentors I actually had along the way. Um, as I do my research, as I've been um, doing studies, one of the things that keeps coming up and the stories that individuals that experience adversity and homelessness um, is the, the presence of mentors and individuals in the community that is that are putting into them um, and putting them in situations and exposing them to things that allow them to one, um, keep that aspirational capital of hope for better days and two, provide them with tangible, concrete things to allow them to actually move forward. Um, mentoring in the black community is something that is rampant. It happens a lot. Um, and we want to have a conversation about how that happens formally, but also informally. Um, but I think it's really, really important that we talk about it from a perspective of looking at the positive and looking at how much we already do and the impact we actually make. And also really want to charge us to really think about the difference between what mentoring is. Um, sometimes people talk about mentoring and they actually talk about robots, right? You talk about individuals seeing the book. Uh, for most of us, Barack Obama is not a mentor, right? We don't know him. He's not in our day-to-day life. He might, he might be a role model, but he's not doing that work on the day-to-day level that, um, that mentors actually do. So kind of the opening up, uh, I want our distinguished panelists to introduce themselves and talk about one, who they are, but two, what does mentoring look like to you from your particular um, focus? So first I want to start off with Adam. Um, and I want you to kind of talk about it from the perspective of a young man. What does mentoring look to you? Okay, well, first of all, uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Adam Walker. Uh, I attend Grambling State University, uh, a candidate for a bachelor's in history with a concentration in law and society with a minor in black studies. Um, so basically, mentoring to me, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be any type of advice given, but um, I feel like one of the best ways for me that I see mentoring is just being able to walk with somebody 
because a lot of times I know one of my biggest things was it wasn't that I didn't know what to do is that I just felt like it was too much. You know what I mean? Um, it was just like, it was difficult for me. Like I knew what I had to do. I had my ducks in order, but it was just like, how could I, how do I execute this plan? Like I didn't know what steps to take for it. And I found one of the biggest things to help me was I had mentors that were just like, go for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, whatever you need, I'm here for you. You know, and it's just like, it's not really, I need something, but just literally that notion of knowing, hey, somebody's here, somebody's walking by your side, like not necessarily holding your hand, but standing behind you to help you just in case you stumble. That's what you, that's. Uh, then we have our first frozen uh, screen. Um, so, as we wait for Adam to come back, I want to um, shift to. to you think go to school? You know, is, uh, um, what happened? Oh yeah, oh, you're right. Right. <laughs> okay. no, um, but yeah, like I was saying, you can. It's so many things that could happen. Um, but yeah, I think that's one of my mentoring looks like to me is walking by somebody's side, you know, standing behind them, making sure they don't fall. It's not necessarily always having to be giving advice or like giving instruction or criticism. Some people just need you to just to be there. Yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, I want to switch to, to Brent and um, I want you to talk about it from the perspective of actually running and also being one of the leaders of a volunteer mentor. So good afternoon, everyone. Thank you, uh, Janet, for hosting this and Earl for you being moderator. Uh, so my name is Brent Burton, uh, day job. Uh, Adam's father and me are both first responders for LA. He's his dad's an LA city firefighter, fire inspector. I'm a captain with LA County Fire Department. So that's my day job. Uh, in addition to that, uh, I also serve as the chair of the mentor committee for the 100 Black Men of Los Angeles. I run their mentor program, which is a community-based mentoring program that services young men between the ages of 11 and 17. And I also chair the um, Los Angeles Cares Mentoring Movement, which is the local affiliate of the National Cares Mentoring Movement started by uh, Sister Susan Taylor, former Essence editor for a lot, a lot of years. So I'm serving that capacity. And what we do is recruit people to become mentors and we provide mentor training. So what is it like to be a mentor? It's very, it's, you know, the, the cliche is rewarding. It's very rewarding, right? That's what everybody says. I'm telling you, it's phenomenal is what it really is. To have the opportunity to be in somebody's life, to help direct them and guide them and be there for them. Uh, we talked about mentoring earlier. You know, so many of us had mentors growing up. I think in my generation, I'm 55 years old. You know, we didn't call it mentoring. We just call it having some folks you can talk to and go to. Today, there's a formal name for it, mentor. But if you want to get into the African, it's Jenga, as, as we all know, uh, because that's more of a African-centered term. But mentoring is what most folks are familiar with. But just having the ability to have a healthy relationship with the young person to help guide them and direct them and be there for them when they need somebody to talk to. Um, and one quick thing before I let you move on, Earl, is, you know, for years and years and years, in my emphases of mentoring, I remember I was thinking that mentoring was only to mentor somebody that didn't have a positive male role model. But what I've learned over the years is that there are brothers that are in the home, but sometimes they just need additional help and support in mentoring somebody's son. And I was asked by a gentleman to help mentor his son with them. And, and at first I used to say, well, you know, what's going on, but now I get it. And I, I do it wholeheartedly without any hesitation. So mentoring is really phenomenally 
building a healthy relationship with somebody that you can help guide. Thank you. And, and that's a really important point. I think um, oftentimes we think about mentors, kids that don't have fathers mean mentors, black mentors. And I think that's a, that's a stigma that we need to get off, off of um, what we say mentor. Because right now I, I mentor a lot of kids. Right now I'm, I'm actually um, guarding my younger brother and I need him to have a mentor, right? It's, it's not enough for me to be saying something. He needs another voice to be saying that and being able to walk in a way that I can't walk as a guardian. Absolutely. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so I want to transition to, to Andre. So as a service provider and also a mentor, like, how do you see, what does mentoring mean to you? Um, mentors uh, for me is really, I mean, it, it's really simple for me. It's just, it's just a matter of um, taking someone by the hand and um, sometimes it's showing them the way. Sometimes it's um, leading them to the water, you know, uh, sometimes it's, um, um, just, you know, just being there for them, you know, um, to lend an ear, whatever that might be for them, whatever that need is in that moment, in that time, um, it's being there for them, you know? Um, so, I mean, we get lots of, lots of men that, uh, come through our program and, um, you know, really that's all they need is, is some, another male, another male role model, someone, who they can look up to and uh, see themselves in and uh, just, you know, helping them out in whatever way, in whatever capacity that may be. Hey, Andre, what's your, what's your day job? Um, I am the housing manager for uh, SOH. Perfect, perfect. Um, and then um, Thomas, so I, I know you have an actual professional mentoring program. Um, so from your perspective, like what, what does mentoring mean to you? Absolutely. And thank you again um, for creating this platform uh, to Janet and your leadership. Um, so I'll just start, you know, I run an organization it's called Friends of the Children Los Angeles. We do mentoring and we do it a little different than um, your traditional programs for mentoring. The One of the things that we do, we start really early. We go way upstream. We identify children who are particularly susceptible for going into foster care. And we actually pair them with full-time professional salaried mentors whose number one job is to work with them every single week for four hours in the classroom and in the home all the way until they graduate high school. So it's a 12 plus year commitment to each child. And, um, and so the reason why um, you know, I wanted to start with that is that uh, when I think about mentoring, I think about it in this most classical sense. Um, I'm a educator by trade. And so when I think about uh, some of the things that really helped turn on the lights for me uh, in, uh, in my development is the story of mentor coming from classical literature. And mentor was tasked, for, tasked to watch Odysseus's son while he was off away fighting in wars, according to the story. Uh, but mentor wasn't a really good mentor. He didn't really have all the wisdom to guide the young son of Odysseus named Telemachus. And so Athena comes down and takes on the form of mentor and she provides the guidance he needs to keep the men from taking siege of his entire home. And two of the things that's really interesting about this story about Athena coming down to take the form of mentor, one, it's kind of like a divine intervention 
that's what mentoring is. And two, one of the two, thi the two things that Telemachus was lacking uh, in the Greek sense, it was minos and napios. Minos means the mental strength and napios means that he was disconnected. And so people who are still developing the mental strength and still need to develop connections because connections are so important. I'm sure everyone here understands the power of social networks and social connections. Those were the two things that he needed to develop in order to go out into the world and also protect his home. And so when I think about mentoring in that sense, this divine intervention, a huge opportunity to help people develop the mental acuity as well as the connections in order to take on the world. I think that's the opportunity that's brought, brought to bear with mentoring. Thank you for that. Um, and Thomas, from your perspective as a mental health professional, um, what do you, kind of how you see um, mentoring? What does mentoring mean to you? Actually, uh, thank you, James. Okay, that's okay. Not a problem. So, um, it's it's it, the the professional experience of being a black male uh, working in, in public mental health is um, there's not a whole lot of us. There aren't a whole lot of us to start, and so a couple of things end up happening. So, James, um, yeah, on, audio is oh, oh, is my audio not working? It's going like in and out right now. I'm going in and out right now. Let me see if I can make sure I'm a little bit closer and stuff like that. How's that? Okay, so so it, in over the course of my career, um, there have not been there have been black men working in, in mental health in public mental health, but um, our numbers unfortunately are few and far between, and so it's not uncommon in our training and in our early years. I started out in a children's mental health program, and it was um, it was not uncommon for me to end up with that caseload of young black boys between the ages of like eight and 14 that had gotten themselves in some sort of a situation at home or at school where they needed some sort of, of, of professional mental health intervention. And this was at a child and adolescent clinic. And it, it shouldn't have surprised me that the, the, that was the majority of my caseload. Um, so what happened was I'm providing mental health services to these young men. And at the same time, I'm providing a mentorship role to, um, to, to, to help give them some guidance because they didn't have a whole lot of black men in their lives that could provide that kind of a, of a role model. So part, as a mental health professional, part of it came just kind of like case assignment. It was a good fit and these young men needed that. And I happened to be, I happened to be there at the moment. Um, but, but it also extending beyond the caseload, um, our, our young professionals, our professionals, we need to look out for each other because one, we wanna see our black men succeed in the work that we're doing because we need each other because there is a demand for service. There's a demand for need for care. Um, but we also wanna make sure we don't slip up because uh, one slips up, it's reflecting on all of us. So, so the mentorship is also a piece of really kind of uh, keeping each other in check in a positive way to support each other and to, to allow for that success. And, that's the, and, and that helps us deliver the services that we're trying to deliver to the public. Um, I forgot to mention, I, so I'm, I'm a social worker. Um, I work for Los Angeles County Department of Mental Health. I've been there for uh, 24 years now and uh, started out in the Children's Mental Health Clinic. And I currently work in a crisis mental health center out in Silmar. Perfect. Um, and I, I'm, I like how kind of how we, we talk about this because I, I think a big part of, of, of the conversation on mentoring is it's very um, targeted in terms of who we talk about when we talk about mentoring, right? We, when we say mentoring, I automatically think of like kids from the ages of eight to 
14, 15, and that being the target population. And I, I really appreciated that, you know, we went beyond that, right? So when Tom was talking about, you know, going really, really upstream, up, upstream and really working with younger kids, um, and also James kind of referring to professionals, right? That are young in, in, in the beginning of their actual careers and how they need mentorship as well. Um, I think it's important that we see that in terms of when we talk about mentorship. It doesn't end at a certain particular um, age, age range. Um, Adam, I want to just shift to you as uh, one of the younger uh, folks on, uh, on this conversation. Has there been um, any crises that you had to experience um, recently that a mentor kind of played a role in? And if so, can you kind of explain that? Very much so. So um, during, so when I was about 20 years old, I left the house on my own, just, um, just want to see very, very much. I, I my father, uh, I just want to be able to do my own thing and be able to uh, experience my own life. And I want to be able to be, you know, um, I guess I just wasn't feeling free. You know, obviously when I got out there, it blew my mind. Um, but recently, I wanted to say, so that was about 20 years old. I'm 23. I'll be 24 in February. So I can even say this. Like, I've always had mentorship. And it's, fun, and it's really funny that you know, Mr. Burns on this call, because Mr. Burns has been a, a mentor to me multiple, on multiple different occasions in multiple different capacities. Um, but I really want to focus on um, recently, like you said, recently, because just now recently, maybe, uh, maybe James, you maybe know about this, but I worked for LASA, which is Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority. And so basically I was fortunate enough to be able to get the position of their warehouse manager. So I was in, I was in charge of the warehouse in um, Bell and I was in charge, it was called Project Room Key. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with Project Room Key, but long story short is they're taking homeless people off the street and putting them into, and leasing out hotels and putting them in hotels to stop the spread of COVID. So while I was there, I met um, some a few individuals that are very instrumental in um, my transition from here, from Los Angeles to here in the rest of Louisiana. So I didn't even know I was going to school until April of, it, of last year. Like, I, I really didn't. Um, I was just moving place to place, house to house, and I didn't know where in my life was I was really going at that moment in time. So uh, and I was looking for a job, and this is what COVID had just started. And so I was looking for a job, and I got this job with Lhasa. And I met these individuals that, like, it was, it was, it wasn't just, it was, it, it like I said, they became mentors. Give him a couple of seconds. I was into his story. I was. I wanted to hear the rest of it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Adam, you for a second. So, um, so you was you had the part where, um, you met these individuals at the job and they started to become uh, mentors. Yeah. So basically, long story short, to wrap it up in a nutshell. So, um, I was just like once again, like during that time from about twenty to twenty to before I went to school last year. Uh, Adam, your audio went, went out. Then ever, and this is this is what I was going. This is what I was. This is what I was getting at earlier when I was talking about mentoring. They never gave me any instruction or advice. 
they just kind of listened to what I had to say and analyzed it, you know? Um, didn't even really give me a different perspective, but they just gave me a, a uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, like, oh, analysis. They gave me analysis of my ideas. They gave me analysis of, of my situation, situation. And then they asked, you know, what's the best, what do you want to do? What's the best that you see could happen? And then they spoke to me from then on. Um, um, and then they spoke to me from then on, like, you know, they gave, they, they just gave me suggestions, what I could do, what you, what I, they think I should do, where do, where I think things were realistic and where I think, think where I think things are a little bit far fetched on what I could do. You know, it was, it was never like, you need, you should do this. You should do this. It was just like, well, here are your options. So let's go through them together, see what you got to do. And that's how I came up with what I'm here. You know, that's what I, that's what I felt like. And, and, and there's one thing, another thing I also learned is that with mentoring is just like a love language. It's really just like a love language because you got to realize not everybody takes kindly or not even kindly, not everybody's susceptible to the type of mentoring that you're ready to give. You know what I'm saying? It's a learning process on both ends. You know, that's why, like you guys were saying, it's not always because it's just because there's a black male in the house doesn't mean there's a mentorship. My father was not a bad man. There's nothing wrong with my father. Mr. Burn can attest to that. We just didn't see eye to eye. We were just as growing up, we just I just became one man and he was a totally different man. Not totally different, but he was one man, I was another. You know what I mean? So it took other people for for us, especially because looking at it as a father-son perspective, it could be a lot of it could be a lot of disconnect there. You know what I'm saying? So like you guys were saying, that mentorship. I don't, your audio went away again. So, um, Adam, your audio went away again. But um, I just want to pick up on kind of some of the things that I heard uh, in, your, in your story. And I think it, it's really important because when we think about mentorship, um, a big part of it is providing that extra perspective, right? That extra analysis, that extra opportunity to have someone that you want, you can, you believe that actually has your best interest in mind that can kind of help you assess what actually is going on. Um, I wanted to kind of point out that having any comments on, on what Adam was talking about. Oh yeah, I, I can't, let me weigh in on that. I can speak to that. It's like, I have two sons, right? And you would think your sons listen to you, but you have to find out that your sons listen to somebody else. So when I want to teach my, young, my oldest son how to ride a bike, I went to somebody else and man, teach my ride a bike because he's not listening to me. I went to another son, my youngest son, who's on the fire department now. I told him all kinds of things to do. He would never listen. But when someone else said, hey, man, your dad's right. You need to do this. He heard this other guy and did everything that guy told him to do, which is the same thing I did. So it's interesting with young men. You hear it differently from another man. And so that's that's kind of a part of what Adam was talking about. He was in a program that we did and he was he was in that program. And I watched him and his dad have challenges. And then I saw what was going on. I tried my way. And, and now that I look back on that experience with Adam, I said, okay, I see what was going on. I need to bring somebody else to help me reach him in certain areas. But I'm glad he's fine and doing very well. But like you said, sometimes that person that's right with you is not always that guy. And sometimes you need help. And mentoring is, is communal. It, it, it's, a, it's, it's the old African proverb. It takes a village to raise a child. 
And this is a prime example of that. Yeah, I would just piggyback on what Brent just said, thinking about the village piece. I know we do this often, but I still think it, it has a lot of value. If we think about how we used to organize ourselves as a black community all throughout this country, as we've been wrestling with white supremacy over the centuries, it's always been a village of mentors helping children make their way into the future in order for the survival of our people. And I think we often, we often buy into this notion that it takes this one magical person that's going to be the linchpin to someone's destiny. And really it requires multiple people yes. to help a person yeah. move along the journey of life and where one can take them only so far, that's when another one steps in. And I think we have to understand that that is really the essence of mentoring and we all play a role. Yes, absolutely. Totally agree. And, then, and I think also part of it is there's a there's expiration date on your active mentoring with an individual, right? And that's something that was hard for me to recognize. Um, so I, I, was, I was a part of a Concerned Black Men mentoring program and I founded a high school mentoring program to help them get to and through uh, to, to college. And during that process, you realize that, all right, there is like an active time where I'm actually giving them advice and helping them kind of guide them through this process. Then it gets to a point where my voice doesn't hold the same weight. <laughs> they need different people to actually start sharing that information with them. Um, and they need me to now take the step back to be that, um, that safety blanket, right? In, certain, in terms of something comes up, a crisis comes up, they can reach out to me but I'm not the person that needs to be doing that direct walking with them at that particular time. And it's important that we recognize that there's phases of kind of how that, how that works. Um, one question that just came to mind now is um, who, who can be a mentor? And I think this is an important question because oftentimes we hear, we have this perception of like, you have to be this amazing individual, right? To, before you even step in to a role uh, of being a mentor. So I wanted to kind of hear other people's perspective. Andre, can you, uh, start us off like what like who what qualifies you as being a mentor or quasi an individual to be a mentor? Oh. I think Andre's on mute. You hear me? Yep. Yeah. There we go. Um, you know what? I, I, I believe anyone can be a mentor. Um, doesn't take uh, special skills or anything uh, as such um but i i think really it it just takes someone to pay attention um observe um be a good listener um um you know have good intentions you know um really for, for me i i didn't choose to be a mentor it kind of chose me. Um, I didn't even choose to be in this field. It chose me. <laughs> and so um, I, 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 I take that. And um, whenever I see any young person or anyone who um, I see that's going leading in the wrong direction, or maybe maybe they are in the right direction and just need a, just a little bit of a, a, a assistance, if they will let me or allow me to, I will share whatever it is that I have in me or, or whatever experiences that I may um, have, have, you know, to, to give them. 
Um, I'd be remiss not to, you know, I believe as uh, like with my son, uh, my son is now um, 20, 27, 27 years of age. And um, I share with him all those experiences that I went through um, coming up. Um, my brothers did the same exact, it's funny, my dad, we were just talking about this the other day. Um, my brothers went through the same thing that I'd went through at the same exact time of our age. And so I, I didn't, because they moved out so soon, I didn't get to um, see them, um, what, what was the outcome um, of them moving out or, or in, that, in that time. Um, but I experienced my own and um, I shared the same exact thing with my son um, at the same age that he, when he came upon, um, and we, um, it was up to him to utilize what I shared with him and, you know, do whatever it is he needs to do with that information. Um, it, but it was up to me to share that information with them, you know? And Bray, I want to go to you because, um, you know, you're in the process of having to identify individuals that are going to be mentors and, and kind of vet them and, and bring them to your program. What are some of the things that, um, that you see as being um, essential for individuals to join your program to start being mentors? I think it's been said. I think, first of all, brother has to, somebody has to care and you have to show up. Those two things are real important. Consistency. You don't want to be that person that has to abandon somebody because a lot of our boys go through abandonment issues all the time. And sometimes that becomes a stigma, but I have a, a short story. Listen to Andre's story. It reminds me of something. A few years back, we went to a prominent church with Delhi Cares Mentor Movement to do some recruitment. And we talked to a group of men's group in that church. And after our presentation, there was one brother that said, hey, man, there's no place for me in mentoring. He said, I have a case that happened to me 30 years ago and I'm still carrying it. I'm on a list. I can't even, I can't even help. I can't even go near a child. I can't take, you know, I can't do anything. So there's no place for me. And I listened to him. I said, brother, are you done? He says, yeah. I said, there is a place for you. I said, you may not be able to take a young man to the ballpark by yourself because of your situation, but you can participate in group mentoring. You can share your story of what happened to you, the pitfall that you ran into. That's what young men want to hear is your stories to help them understand how to avoid these pitfalls. So he just looked at me. Wow, he didn't know that. And I said, yeah, you can do group mentoring because there's different ways to do it. I think the stigma is a lot of times our men have a challenge with their own relationship with their son or relationship they have with their own father. And that gets in the way of them trying to move forward in mentoring. And we want the, we want brothers to understand that, look, you know, nobody can look at you and no one's walking around with this on your face saying, well, I'm unable to mentor. That doesn't happen. We want folks to just meet them where they are. We want to reach them where they are and help them to, to, to get into somebody's life and be present with that. I like what um, Thomas said. And I think Thomas hit the nail right on the head of what does it take to mentor? Man, I asked a few brothers this question. Marcus Farrell, who runs Men Formation, I said, brother, what does it take? Because we've been asked that question for a long time. How do you get brothers to mentor? Well, unfortunately, you got to incentivize them these days. Back in the day, it was nothing to just be a mentor. But I like what he said when he said that they have professional salaried mentors. That's what it takes in 2021. Professional salaried mentors. That's where we are. The year, the age of volunteerism, we would like to still believe it exists because many of us on this call right now, I know we do it, 
But unfortunately for the masses, they need incentives. And to professionally professionalize mentoring to pay these folks for their time is understandable, but that's where we are. So we have to get into the place where we can incentivize this to make it really work so they don't get abandoned. James, you want to hop in? Yeah, um, yeah I, I'm thinking about my own experiences. I really didn't um, get exposed to any kind of formal or, or structured mentorship, actually, until I was in college. Or like, I need to give a shout out, go Bruins, because uh, that's actually where it happened at. I was an undergrad at UCLA. Um, I actually almost failed out of school. I was a psychology major, almost failed out of school, switched over to sociology, got connected with um, a person by the name of uh, Professor Melvin Oliver. He's now over, uh, actually, I think he's president of Pitzer right now, or at least he was at one point. And um, I, was, I was doing some independent study and I needed to connect with a faculty advisor. And so I had reached out, but I'm, I'm 19 years old. I, I don't have a clue in the world quite yet about how things work. And I got under his wing and he was the, um, he both provided guidance and put his foot in my behind. And actually, I didn't know what my future plans were. He's the one that actually put me on the path to become a social worker and do what I'm doing now. Um, so the, the thing that I would really encourage is if, 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 if a young man has the wherewithal to realize that they need a mentor, do not wait. Do not wait for somebody to get to you. Reach out and convert. And, and on the other side of that, if somebody's in a position where they can mentor, do not wait. Reach out because we want we want to pull each other up, and we and we want to we want to support each other. And that's uh, that's was my experience for my bachelor's, uh, my undergraduate, and that's what actually led me on and helped me get um, structured and into graduate school. And I picked up another mentor there as well. I'll talk about them later on, but um, but don't wait. Don't wait. Whether whether you're the mentor or the mentee, reach out. And then, um, and so AJ, from from your perspective, because um, you're you're younger, um, one, do you do you participate in a formal mentoring program? Um, do you see yourself as a mentor, and um, kind of what your decision on kind of that role, uh, that position? Um. So tag. So usually, um, being me, I'm. Not to not to toot my horn, but usually I'm a little bit more advanced than a lot of people. Like for instance, the Sanctuary of Hopes program, um, there wasn't much uh, that like uh, Doug or my son really needed to do for me. They just needed to, you know, just give me a little bit of help with resources. You know, there wasn't really much for me to learn. There wasn't. I've gone to the Brother Crusade there. Uh, one of my mentor, I want to say, one of my biggest mentors is Dr. Ray Ivy. Um, he now teaches, uh, I think he teaches um, <clears throat> Black Studies at John Hopkins University now. Um, but that was probably one of my biggest mentors. He was over the Brotherhood Crusade when I got out of high school. Um, and so when I say that, I usually have a good relationship with people like that. So I'm not ever really a mentor, but more of the like teacher's pet, whatever, like whatever you want to call it, like. You know, like, I've always been that person where it's just like, hey, Adam, help him do this for me. You know what I'm saying? Teach him how to do this for me. And so that's kind of where it started. Now, am I in any type of formal mentoring program? No, I'm not. But um, what's really funny is, just like you were saying, is when you see somebody needing mentoring, reach out. When somebody needs to be mentored, reach out. Just like somebody saw that I need to be mentored, she reached out. So... Um, 
one like I said, like when I worked at Lassa, so one of the lady the one of the ladies me that I worked with that was, she's actually my my supervisor got very very close, and so she was helping me get into she was helping me with different programs different uh she was helping me recommending the different type of sites and and, and charities, and so we got very close to so right before and as I was leaving for school, um, I started talking to her son, and so now in a way I'm kind of a mentor to her son. Like, uh, not, you know, nothing official, but I call him every once in a while because we're both in school. You know, I'm just now coming here to Gremlin State and he goes to Dominguez Hills and he just turned he just turned 20 and I'm about to turn 24. So we don't have that much of a difference. And I always tell him, like, look, like when I talk to you about stuff, it's not ever because that, I, you know, I'm trying to be your daddy or anything like that. I just know for a fact that I struggle and if I can help any young man, I don't care, black, white, whatever, any young man that I know has been struggling, if I know that I can help them in any type of way, whether, uh, you know what I'm saying, whether it's just some knowledge or whatever it is, I'm going to give that. You know what I mean? I, I'm going to give that. Like, for instance, um, he, the son, he he has seizures and he, he has this, um, as a man, we all have this kind of thing. He doesn't like to take his medicine. You know what I'm saying? Um, and and I get it. I get it. You don't want to, as a man, especially when you're growing to age, you don't want to become dependent on that type of stuff. But I had to let him know. And this is where the mentoring role came in. I had to let him know, like, like, bro, you are your mom's only son. Like, that you are the only man, like, to carry on your legacy. You know what I'm saying? You're putting your life in danger. You know what I mean? Not just by taking the medicine, but, you know, uh, just anything can happen. You know, Mr. Mr. Burns will tell you. Anything, if you have a seizure, it's not even the seizure that could kill you. You might fall down and bust your head on something, you know? It, it's little things like that. And he, and he, and so now his mother tells me he's been taking his medicine more regularly because he's got seizures like once a month, twice, once or twice a month. And so she says she thinks she was taking me because she said ever since I came into life, that she said that's one area that she's seen him get better in. And she says, even though it's only that area, she says she's very thankful to me about it because that's less of a, hospital bill she has to go to that's less of a worry about especially because he's at school that's less of a worry about you know my son if he's having a seizure am I gonna be able to get to him and so that's where I kind of saw like recently where my mentoring came into play and where I kind of realized like okay like it was it wasn't subconscious anymore it was like okay I know for a fact I need to help this young man because I'm a young man and I know if I don't make it that's even more of odds against him you know that's one less person that can help him you know that's just my motivation it's never my motivation is not for me to be okay because say to if i wanted to I, I i i could survive i could scavenge i could you know scurry whatever but i don't want to do that if it's going to be just me i mean i could get by like that but i want to have something for me my family and those that come after me not even my family those young men that come after me young women that come after me because in this world right now in 2021 is devastating the things that are happening, the things that are going on, the type of trauma that people my age are going through. Like, we are very desensitized to this type of stuff, the stuff that's going on. You know, I feel like we're seeing the same stuff that we're seeing that we was on the TV in 1964, but way worse. You know, so it, I think now more than ever is when mentoring needs to become good. And just like Mr. Burton said, and, 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 uh, and, uh, <clears throat> and Thomas, is that incentivize incentivizing them is the best way possible you're right it, it it's we've come to that 
but because especially nowadays that it's hard to I honestly get young people to listen as well. That's what I've noticed. Like, don't it doesn't matter who it's coming from. It can, it can be coming from their peer. It can be coming from a parent. I ran a stranger on the street. People are very, very stubborn nowadays. And so that's why mentoring has also become very, very difficult because of how everybody's like, well, okay, well, I'm going to do it my way. Like, they don't heed warning. They don't heed advice. Best way to learn a lesson is to look at it from other people. Yeah. And I, and, and I want to uh, ask Thomas, like, is this idea of incentivizing mentorship. Because one thing that, that stuck out to me um, was kind of when Brent was talking about a lot of people don't know that they can actually be mentors and actually have an impact, right? A lot of people don't see themselves as being a person that someone else can look up to because they're still in their process of growing and they're still trying to meet their, their um, where they're trying to get to. And kind of what AJ, you was explaining was this moment where you realize like, oh, like I actually right now in my, my position right now, I have the influence to actually help someone else. And that, that, that created a different dynamic in terms of how you saw yourself in terms of what your goals are, the, the reasons for your goals, um, and also like, you know, this commitment to mentoring this young individual. And so I wonder like, you know, um, Thomas, I know you have this program that's professionalized mentoring, but do you see that being the, um, the, the way moving forward for kind of how mentoring should be seen and how we should be looking at mentoring moving forward for black men? So I would answer, my quick answer would be, I think it's absolutely imperative that we expand the whole notion of paid mentors as we move forward, just like Brent said, it's critical at this point in our history. Um, but I also believe that uh, we should not do away with anything that's already in place. I think we have to put everything on the table uh, in order to make a difference. Uh, I'll share this. Um, one of the things I'm actually working on right now uh, in the state of Massachusetts, they have a publicly funded program that's funded through Medicaid that um, it's called therapeutic mentoring. And people can become qualified through the University of Massachusetts. And uh, I think it's, uh, they can become certified through about like a 12 week program. And from individuals from high school and above, high school diplomas and above, they can actually become professional therapeutic mentors and certified as such. One of the things I think that we ought to build I'm out. I'm sorry, can you, can you repeat that real quick, Thomas? I'm sorry. Can yeah. You yeah, therapeutic mentors in the state of Massachusetts. It is a, mm -hmm. it is a publicly funded program that is, that is available to children all the way up to age 21. Wow. And we don't have that here in the state of California. In fact, the only program that is funded uh, that provides support and uh, James and Nolo something about this is uh, therapeutic based services, treatment based services through the Department of Mental Health. And that's for, of course, children who have um, some psychological problems that may reach have to be at a certain level of acuity. And one of the things that we're trying to work on right now is how do we create some system change to bring that kind of model here to the state of California so we could utilize it here locally and, um, and, and maybe apply some of those principles. Because again, there was a question earlier, like who can be a mentor? I think you'd be amazed at how many people have something that they can share to help others. And, um, and always the best mentors don't all, they're not always dripping with degrees. They may be somebody who has some very humble beginnings, but incredible wisdom and insight about a how to win your way through our society. And so uh, that's one of the things that, uh, that I believe 
is really important for all of us to really try to push. I think finally, lastly, like I said, going back to the way forward, that's one of the reasons why I took on this role of uh, providing full-blown uh, salaried mentors is that I feel like we have to remove every variable of chance out of the way. You know, one of the things about mathematics, you know, when does mathematics become hard for a lot of children's when you start introducing the unknown variable? Well, the unknown variable in the world of traditional mentoring is the volunteer. It's the relationship that has to be created between the mentee and mentor. It's time, it's effort, it's intentionality. There's so many unknown variables to create that magical connection. With uh, our model, we're trying to remove all those unknowns and really create some accountability for the advancement and growth and development of each child. I just want to jump in, Thomas. I really appreciate you talking about that, 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 that inner, the, the engagement between the, the mentor and the mentee and, and that it's, it's a sacred space and also bringing up TBS. Extending beyond that, uh, the director of our department, Dr. Jonathan Sharon, he often talks about the sacred interface and that is the space, that is the, the relationship that gets established between the service provider and the service recipient. And that sacred, that, that sacred space, um, that sacred interface is what helps us bring about change. And it, but it doesn't necessarily have to be with the, the therapist and the service recipient. It can be between any two people that develop that kind of um, relationship with each other. And it's enduring, it's long, it's, it's ongoing. Um, that is what can bring about change. So I, re I really appreciate you talking about that. And um, I just want to add one thing, um, especially talking about the service providers and, 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 and uh, mentees. Like you said, they don't always have to be those type of therapeutic people, but um, I also want to say that I, there's not enough because in in like the in the programs that I've been in, because I've been in a numerous amount of programs besides the Brother Crusade, Sanctuary of Hope. There's been so many other ones that these mentors and mentees, well, no, just the mentors, the mentors are stretched thin. You know, like some of these people, like that, they're supposed to be mentors. That 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 I mean, they are mentors but they have 130 kids on their docket that they have to be mentors to. You know what I'm saying? That's 130 different personalities. That's 130, uh, 130 times 100 problems, you know? Like, they're stretched thin. And then on top of that, in the living in the world we live in today with 2020, you talk about the sacred space. That sacred space is invaded when the mentee has problems and the mentor because the mentor has real-life world problems, too. This goes back to being incentivized because it's like being a volunteer. If I got bills to pay, I'm not gonna go volunteer to help this kid out. You know what I'm saying? And that's just what it is today in 2021. And that's just realistic. You know? Um, it, it's kind of like it's kind of like it's it's the hard truth, but it is what it is. And so, so you know, and so that's the thing about it. And so what I say, these people are stretched so thin, and not only are they stretched so thin, they have their own problems. And I want to be able to see, like Thomas was saying, those incentivized people, incentivized people in the school system. Because I've gone to LAUSD public schools, I've seen where the money is spent. Because I've been, I, because I'm the one benefiting from everything. I mean, this is just my school, and I know they don't do it to every school. But I went to Westchester High School in 20. I graduated in 2015. I went from 2012 to 2015. During that time, there's times we didn't have running water. During that time, there was times where I couldn't wash my hands after I used the bathroom. During that time, there was books that I was using that had page ripped out that was from 2009. 
you know, things like that. And like we had school police officers. Sometimes we would have six school police officers at the school at one time. Like, why do we need six school police officers? I do believe we need school police officers, but why do we need six? Why not allocate some of those funds towards, like, like I'm saying, to people who are just there literally just to help children out? Because kids come to school with all these problems, and they're multiplied because everybody else has problems at these schools, and it's just it's just like a melting pot of issues. You know, this person has a mom and daddy, mom and daddy issues. This person's brother got shot. Uh, 10 days ago, this person got to sell, got to sell weed and drugs to get some food just to get bus fare to go home. Like each kid have different, each, each of these kids have different problems. Cause I know I have my, my problems and nobody really understood me. My father, my mentors, like nobody really understood me until I had to really open up. And that's a big problem is that we don't have mentors that know how to get kids to open up. Like I said, it's t 130 different personalities, 130 different problems. So I've, it, I've been thinking, and I'm glad I'm got, I got on this call and I'm glad I heard what Tommy said because I, that's literally what I've been thinking about is what is a way that we could affect change, a mass change, you know, where can we start? Just like Tommy said, where can we start? You know, the, the, the biggest issues like is getting those people who want to actually help, you know, who actually have that passion for helping because that type of fire, I don't see that nowadays anymore. You know what I'm saying? Especially like as somebody young like me, like I, I, I am passionate about helping people. You know what I mean? Like my roommate, uh, one of the stories, when I started, I have my roommate, we both come from a similar background. Me and my roommate, this was our last resort coming back here to school. This was our last resort. So we both, you know, we both extend our hands out to people because we know how it feels like to be able to be on the short end of the stick. You know, we always want to be able to give that help a handout, you know? Um, but yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Like, just I, I believe that needed those those they need to be in the schools. It starts in the school system. I think what you, what you what you're bringing up and what everyone's kind of bringing up is that there needs to be institutional support in order to allow for mentoring to happen. So the resources and the funds are there to actually allow for mentoring to happen. Um, I know as being a part of a formal mentoring program, trying to fundraise money in the community that you're also trying to help becomes taxing. Right, because the the community you're trying to help don't have the actual funds to be able to, to be able to provide that those resources, and we have money that's going to um, different um, public services like police, um, school police, for example, um, that we could be reallocating to individuals that can provide and can learn how to be strong mentors, so we can prevent some instances from actually happening. Right? Um, I actually did research um, on um, LAUSD's analysis um, data in terms of incident reports and. One of the most important incidents that's happening in, at those schools are mental health related, right? That's majority of the incidents that happen at the school. However, the mental health support there does not doesn't get nearly as much money as we're providing with for for school police, right? So how do we reallocate those funding so we can have strong programs that within themselves can incentivize people to actually be a part of it? Because sometimes it's not necessarily I need I need I need money personally money. I just need the infrastructure for me to mentor easily. So I don't have to do all the work and trying to figure out how I'm going to coordinate, how I'm going to get them here, there, and actually have that all kind of settled and I have to, have to show up and be able to kind of have that interaction. That can change how how many people will, will be willing to actually commit to, to mentoring. Uh, hey, hey, Earl, hey, Earl, quick question for you and of course for the whole panel. I was, I think about, I've been thinking about this pretty often, you know, this, 
this past, say, five to seven years or say the last 20 years, we've seen this incredible rise in the tech in the tech community where um, companies are able to pull together so much working capital. And we're talking about billions of dollars just so they can sit around and think about the next big thing in order to make more billions of dollars. Imagine if we all didn't have to worry about fundraising, didn't have to worry about the bills getting paid to AJ's point, And we could just sit about thinking about how can we prepare our children for the future without any worries about the other stuff. Imagine what we could put together with a singular focus just on those types of things. And that, that, that's a really important question. I think that, um, that we as black men um, need to be thinking about and figuring out how we can get closer. Um, I think the Measure J um, measure was important to be able to have some more resources that we're paying for to be reallocated to actual services. Um, but I think it can't stop. You know? So I think we gotta make sure that we know where those resources are going and those resources that go into our mentoring programs to really fortify the type of things that we're actually trying to do in the community. Um, so we can talk about this a lot, but um, we don't have to run out of time. So I want to make sure I don't, um, don't leave out an important part of our discussion and talking about woke moments. So uh, just a moment where you kind of um, had some tough personal enlightenment. And when you provide your woke moment, I also want you to give a shout out to some mentors that you had um, along your way that allowed you to be where you are today. So I'm just gonna start out. Um, my personal enlightenment is the importance of us doing personal individual mentoring, but also the importance of us doing organizing to allow to make sure that we're knocking down barriers that's actually hurting the individuals that we're trying to help. Uh, so it's one thing to walk with them. It's also another very important part of running ahead of them to knock down those barriers so you don't have to actually work, work, um, work around them. Um, mentors for me that, uh, that meant a lot to me is um, Dan Bunch from Boston College. Um, when I was in college, he actually um, helped me well, get through college. Then after I graduated college, he helped me get a job. After I, after I got, the job, got the job to teach, um, he actually helped me get my first car. After that, I hoped he broke down. He helped me get a second car um, and um, played a really, really important part of my actual beginning of my college career. And currently right now, I'm Dr. Pedro Nogueira. And Dr. Tyrone Howard are my two advisors at UCLA who are um, really breaking down barriers for me to, to be able to do my program, focus on my program, but also have a perspective of looking ahead of what I actually need to do. So we can um, popcorn, anyone can jump in. I, I'd be happy to jump in. Um, I've already mentioned one. It was uh, uh, Dr. Mel Alvin Oliver, who um, was the one that kind of pulled me into sociology as an undergrad, um, saved me from, from considering dropping out of school and actually pushed me hard in a lot of ways to go into social work. He really provided a lot of that guidance when I, when I needed it. Um, the second one that I wanna give a shout out to, it's uh, Professor Dr. Joe Nunn. Um, he is the director of uh, field education for at the UCLA School of Social Welfare at the time, and it's now the Luskin School. And um, he is someone that, um, he, he provided a different, type of mentorship to me. He wasn't the one that was kind of grabbing me and pushing me in that direction. He was, um, he was one that was, un it was unconditional support and a sounding board when things got really tough. And uh, recently, um, I'd say the, the, the woke moment for me actually is tied to Dr. Nunn as well with, with what's been going on this past year. Um, I sent out a, 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 I put a little video clip together just to share with a couple of folks that I've identified as mentors in my life. And the feedback I got was that um, the, the, the inspiration that I got from them has 
Um, they're telling me that it's inspired them and it's, it's helping more people do more. So, so letting people know how important they are in our lives feeds into the, the energy that's needed to continue to reach out, to continue to be proactive, to continue to mentor, um, to continue to lift each other up. And so, so it's, it, we keep giving by, by getting involved, by leaning in, it creates more energy. Now it doesn't necessarily create the money and that's a whole nother discussion, but it creates the energy to do this work, which is so important. I'll jump in uh, for the next one. My, my woke moment came a little over 20 years ago uh, in terms of mentoring. Uh, I was invited to a, um, a healthy star collaborative meeting when I was president of the black firefighter association. And I sat in this meeting with about maybe 80 to 90 people. And it was all the elementary schools in local South LA area talking about their programs and what they're doing. And I heard words like, we have a probation officer on campus. We have anger management classes. We have this. I'm, and I'm looking around and there wasn't very, very many men in the room. And the one older brother sitting at my table, I said, hey, man, do you remember probation officers in your elementary school? He said, no, nah, maybe I had none of that. And I just started twirling. So when the lady from my old elementary school got up to speak, I said, I got to connect with her. And I went to her after the presentation and said, hey, I want to I want to just come do something. Uh, I work for the fire service. I wanted to provide a program. She said, when can you start? I said, oh, OK, well, let's talk tomorrow. She said, no problem. So I started a junior fire cadet program at the school where we taught life skills. It wasn't really about the fire service. It was just about civics. It was about financial literacy. It was about physical fitness. It was about being a good student, law enforcement encounters. So that moment of seeing very few men involved and learning about all the challenges that kids today are going through. And this is 20 years ago, and they're still going through that, if not more. So that was my woke moment. My shout out was to a couple of brothers. First of all, my father, who was my permanent role model in the home, but uh, Akil Bashir, Kwame Cooper, those are two brothers that really helped me develop as a young man, they introduced me to the autobiography of Malcolm X, Message to a Black Man. Those brothers really were, were focus, a focal point for me when I was a teenager. I was like Adam's age in the Explorer program. And these brothers were professional firefighters, but they were really strong Black men that really taught me how to grow, how to develop myself. And so I really shout out to, I give a shout out to these brothers. So um, I guess my woke moment, it's funny. Um, my woke moment came yesterday. Um, well, one of them. So I, I have two dogs. I have two dogs. And they let me learn a big lesson. One of the big lessons is that a patient is like the patient love is the best kind of love. You know what I mean? Like the best kind of mentorship, uh, just to go with it. I mean, like I said, like, I don't, like, this is, let me show, I don't know if you guys can see, uh, let me see. They did this yesterday in the, in the house. And that's culprit number one. And that's culprit number two under there. But, um, you know, I walked in the house and obviously I was livid. Do you know what I mean? I was livid. And, you know, the first thing I'm doing is I'm, I'm about to tear some stuff up, you know. But then I waited because I looked and I was just like, all right, well, let me see. Now, if I do this, they're going to be scared that they mine. And then it's like, they're not human. Like, it's like, they don't know any better. Like, not human. I can't sit here and talk to them. Like, don't dig holes in the wall, you know? So it's just, I had to sit here and think about it. Like, it it, get, it had to, it made me feel, so, like I said, the patience. The patience to be able to deal with somebody. 
You know what I'm saying? And not just be, not obviously these are dogs. You know what I'm saying? Obviously these are my dogs, so I love them. But it's not just the patience to deal with people that you love, but people that you want to see succeed. You know, I feel like a lot of people, a lot of times people just, when you don't listen or when it seems like nobody wants, they don't really want to follow you, you're just, ah, okay, whatever. Like, you don't listen to me, whatever. But it's just like, no. Like, you got to be the type of person, if you really want to see this person succeed, you got to let them show, see, watch when they fall, but be right there to pick them back up. Like, you ready to listen to me now? You know what I mean? Or not. If not, they ain't got to. Let's, let them do their way. But I'm going to be that person that's just like, I'm going to be here for you when you ready, you know? And so um, that's really my woke moment, just patient love. Um, and, and my mentors, I got a bunch, you know? I, I got a bunch. Obviously, my father, uh, Engineer Glenn Ties, Brent Burton, he's been very, like, you don't understand when I saw his name on this call, I was just like, wow, it's crazy. Um, uh, let me see who else. Quante Hampton, Dr. Ray Ivy, Michael Wells. These are all brothers that have been very instrumental in my life as far as just teaching me different lessons and uh, uh, teaching me the best way to succeed in this world, being the type, be, being the way that I look and the person that I am. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's very, 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 very important um, that. I conduct myself in a certain manner because number one, I'm always being scrutinized, no matter what. Being the type of person, being who I am, everybody's scrutinizing me. My people of my own color, you know, people that aren't my color, you know, that everybody's scrutinizing you. So you have to act accordingly. Um my woke moment came uh, when I hit 30. <laughs> had something about that year 30 um before then i didn't realize that i was grown <laughs> you know um i've done all these things i call myself grown but my mentality my my thinking was not of a you know uh, of a grown person you know i didn't make uh grown decisions i didn't make um um, I didn't re or respond to things in a grown manner, you know, and so I hit 30 and realized, man, I'm a grown a person. <laughs> and from that moment on, I started making decisions, started making better decisions. Um, and um, the course of my life just totally changed. I became more. Um, more thinking about others than myself. Um, the, the first part of my life, I, I started doing music at the age of 14. Um, and I started traveling uh, the country around, I think I had my first um, tour at around 16, 17 years of age. And I wouldn't have been able to do that without um, the support of my dad, um, which leads me to who is my mentor. Um, to this day, he he still is my mentor. You know, we we have conversations not as father and son, but as man to man, you know, conversations. And and um, um, back in you know when I was coming up as a kid, I I didn't understand what he was trying to convey to me and how he was trying to. Um, get me to listen to what he what he was trying to teach me at the time. Um, not until I became an adult and started experiencing these, you know, some of these things that he was already talking to me about. Um, 
is when I really understood that, man, this dude has a lot of wisdom, <laughs> you know, because, you know, as kids, yeah, you, you reach out to others. You, you will reach out to someone who may not have your best interest, but who you may feel um, has love and concern for you, you know? Um, but to this day, my dad, man, he, he is, he is one of the, let me say, just say this and I'm done, but he is one of the, um, um, highest ranked person or black male in the Southern California gas company. Um, and so conversations that we have, he, you know, he teaches me how to, um, to renewer around in the corporate world, you know, some of the things that I might bump up against, um, some of the things that um, he had to, you know, go against. Uh, he teaches me these, these things and I, I, I take heed to him and I put him into action. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my mentor there. Oh, goodness, that's hard, hard to follow you gentlemen. So let me say, um, you know, I think sometimes mentors are formal, you know, we have formal mentoring relationships and sometimes they're informal. And the informal ones that I've had, of course, have been some of our ancestors that I've looked up to. Um, you know, Malcolm was mentioned. He's absolutely one of them. Paul Robeson is another and Toussaint Louverture is another. And, um, and I think about Marcus Garvey and I think about Dr. King and, um, and how, and I also think about folks in my own family who have sacrificed so much. And I feel like there's a responsibility to take up the mantle and push this forward. Um, and I think personally, you know, in my own life, I think about Phil Pope, you know, I had used to live in, in another lifetime I had, I was used to play professional baseball and he was my mentor in that space. And, um, and I had, uh, there's my aunt, Dr. Adelaide Sanford, who's still alive, you know, at 95 years old and still a fighter for social justice on the East Coast. And um, of course my father and, and there's a few others. And so, like I said, it takes so many different people to help form the character of a person. And so I count some of, I count all of those people as a part of my own formation, my own character. And then in terms of woke moments, I guess there's two, I have to, I'm gonna take a little license and, and say, share two. I'm gonna start with what um, AJ said about the patients. You know, my aunt, my aunt, uh, my aunt Addie, as we affectionately call her, I remember one time she heard me and my uncle just fussing about all of the problems, you know how we kind of do when we're around family, fussing about all the social problems we have. And my Aunt Addie, she's just sitting there washing dishes and she's a towering figure in New York on the East Coast. And she's just washing dishes and she's just kind of listening patiently and quietly. And she, after we get done fussing about all the problems in the world and con confronts the black man, she just kind of gingerly moves over to me and she says, Thomas, be patient with our people. They've suffered a lot. And in the moment, she never gave any context or she just left it at that. And I'm saying, what does she, what does she mean by that? And, um, and I kept on running that through my mind over and over and over again. And, uh, and as I kept growing and learning, and then I think I remember I saw a film, Goodbye Uncle Tom was made in the mid seventies, probably the most accurate depiction of slavery ever put on film. 
And I think after that moment I watched that film, that's when I knew exactly what she was talking about. We don't understand the level of trauma that we have gone through as a people in the Western hemisphere. We have no idea. And, um, and of course we rely a lot on others to try to teach us about it. But, and that's where the other woke moment comes from. I think about what Haki Mabuti said one time, he says that we have to be responsible for the education of our own children so they could be responsive and responsible for their own. If we don't educate our own children, then they will be responsive and responsible to someone else's agenda. And of course that is going to be the detriment of ours. And so those two things, the patience and then the importance of educating our own and investing in our own are the two critical moments for me. That's powerful. Um, I just want to thank everyone uh, for taking the time to run a little over, but um, saying really meaningful things. I think we needed to go a little over. Um, and I just want to end with some takeaways. So really, um, one, you know, mentoring starts early. You know, we can't we can't wait till we have kids in middle school. We got to be starting as early as possible to make sure we're actually cultivating that village. Um, two, it's a village, right? There's no such thing as a, as a perfect man or woman. It takes a lot of us to come together and really put our arms around our young people to educate them, to make sure they're going in the right direction. And also not take it personal when they don't listen to you. <laughs> that just means that you need to bring in someone else to really make sure that message is actually sticking. Um, three, it needs to be incentivized um, and it needs to be institutionally supported, right? Funding needs to happen. Um, one of the biggest problems that we have in, in our society is, is nonprofits. Right? When nonprofits became more and more prevalent, a lot of the community aspect of our, of our communities were, were broken up. Right? And so it's very, very important that we recognize that you know, the church is not the central place in our communities anymore because like the mentoring programs don't happen in the church as much anymore Right, because it's a nonprofit now doing that. Um, and so it's really important that we recognize that it, it does require institutional support and resources to really make sure we bolster that up to, um, to do what we need to do. Um, and the last one is, as Black men, we are facing structural racism um, on every level. And it's very, very important that we recognize that and we recognize that this is not new. And also for us to be successful, we have to be crazy, right? We literally have to believe, one, we can be successful. Two, that the system is set up in a way for us not to be successful. And we have to be able to be successful despite of this system and then three, we can't blame individuals that cannot navigate that system in order to get to the success that we actually got to. It can't be, well, I did it. Why can't they do it? Why can't they just follow exactly what I did? And to have all three of those things together is something that makes you crazy, right? Um, and I think it's really, really important that we acknowledge that. And as mentors, we, we, we hold our, our mentees and individuals we care about accountable while also recognizing and empathizing with the role they have to take and also pushing those structures away so to make sure that they don't have to deal with that anymore. Um, so I just want to end with that. I want to end with everyone going to Sanctuary of Hope um, to get more resources because um, they're doing amazing work. And I'm just so impressed by, you know, when I first started and met Janet, uh, where the program was and how much they've expanded since in a very, very short period of time. And they're doing amazing work and they, they deserve and they need our support. So make sure that we stay active, we stay engaged, and we support them as well. So I want to say thank you, everyone, and end it, um, end it for the night.
Thank you for listening to Woke Moment. For more information about our organization, please visit SOH.org. Subscribe to us for a woke moment wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at the underscore SOH underscore LA and on Facebook and Instagram at Sanctuary of Hope LA. Why God?